It takes more than going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 358. I am your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a advice podcast for software developers who like doing more than just picking up power converters with their friends and wasting time. I don't know what this is. Oh. What is Toshi Station? This is an outdated reference to the Star Wars Day, May the 4th, because this is from Episode 4, A New Hope, when Luke Skywalker is being asked to do a chore by his Uncle Owen, and he goes in his typical whiny voice, but I was going to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters. And his uncle goes, he really is like the whiniest (laughs) superhero. (laughs) And his uncle says, you can waste time with your friends later, Luke. And I'm like, who wrote this script? It's so weird, like picking up power converters, waste time with your friends. This makes no sense. Anyway. Yeah. Just for fun. We got it. We actually got a bunch of intro suggestions on May the 4th in our Slack community, and I just forgot to do them on May the 4th. So you're getting them on whatever today is for you. Maybe around June (laughs) the 4th is when this might release. June the 4th be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, should I thank our patrons? Yes, please. Thank you to the people who support the show, such that we shout them out or something out every week. Thank you to thecomputersciencebook.com, Kyle Boss, Valentin at Datafold, Santa Hopar, Noah Fraser Logue, Kent C. Dodds, Jenny Kim, Owen Shardle, Craig Motlin, I Love Mavis, The Stochastic Parrot, Alice Jost, at least we no longer have that awful name, Flockinousinhilification is common in Landfair, Quilaguingogarichewardirob, Gnanden Hoot in Ohio, patreon.com.au, we are hiring, Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, testing is documenting.org, Oladapofadye, Anker, the shout-out sponsored by Will Angel, Ragnar, Nick Hathaway, Travis Sanders, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Bartek Tatkowski, Cody Sale, Nick Cantor, and Philip John Basile. Thank you, thank you. We appreciate it. And if you want to join this group, if you want to help support the show, then you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. If you enjoy it, or if you hate it and you want to hate support the show for some reason. Listen, I won't tell you you can't do that. You're allowed to. Any amount... We'll, we'll get you an invite to our Slack team, and there's some tiers in there that give you some rewards, such as saying words that you type into a text box. Yes. Keeps the show going, pays for the costs associated with it, and it we does. really appreciate it. Do you want to read our first question? That's exactly what I was about to ask you oh, permission to do. You read my mind. How did you know? I know. It's What an amazing <laughs> coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, there is someone in my office who is an anonymous note writer. The notes are annoying, but harmless. At one point, there were nine PSAs in the break room alone. My breaking point was, I was gifted my own personalized note asking me to organize my desk. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. During our next team meeting, I jokingly gave a status report on the state of my desk and referenced the note. I believe this was the first time someone had publicly acknowledged the note writer and it invoked a very passionate response from my teammates expressing their own annoyances with the anonymous writer. It began to escalate the following week. Copycat writers began writing their own sarcastic notes. Of course they did. This is wonderful. And junior devs were jokingly doing handwriting analyses to find the culprit. I participated in none of this. However, my manager pulled me aside to say he is now forced to address the situation due to someone filing an official complaint that I was, quote, instigating workplace harassment and that I created a, quote, hostile, unsafe environment. Oh, 
Oh, no. He informed me we will be having a meeting with HR regarding this incident. I have never had a meeting with HR before. (laughs) I am very afraid. They're great. It's fine. (laughs) I am very afraid of potentially losing my job due to this. I find this whole situation ridiculous and feel very frustrated. Please help me not make this a bigger mess than it already is. Oh, my goodness. Right until that last couple sentences, I was loving the story. And then I'm like, oh, this this really escalated. Took a turn for the worse. For the dire. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's a lot of obvious finger pointing to do at the anonymous complainer slash note writer because they have to be the same person, right? Clearly, the kind of person who would write nine anonymous PSAs would also be the one who would then anonymously complain about you instigating workplace harassment for acknowledging them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to, I don't know, I want to make fun of them. But also this, no amount of levity can convince HR this is actually no big deal. <laughs> um, I know. Uh, oh like gosh. it is a funny situation. And also uh, this is the least funny department of the company. That is right. In fact, it, it, they're almost anti-funny. It's like our whole job is to crush funniness and defend the company from humor. Yeah. Because there's there's some risk of, of offense and harm and, and lawsuits and uh, yeah. Ugh. I have known HR professionals that I liked and got along well with, but I have never had a meeting that involved HR in any official capacity. No matter what my role in that meeting was, that didn't feel high stakes. Because <laughs> um, there is always that like, it feels quasi legal where like the thing that that uh how do i explain it even i just won't you know what i can do what i want i choose not to explain that <laughs> good <laughs> oh i find the whole situation ridiculous and feel very frustrated yes i, this I is. can see how you would feel frustrated go ahead <sighs> okay i think the answer here is you need to leave some anonymous post-it notes on the HR person's desk that are <laughs> that are just annoying enough to make them feel the pain that you've been feeling, but mm. not annoying enough to cause another HR incident. I think you need to find out where this meeting is going to be held. Oh, no. And where the HR person is going to sit. And then you need to leave some notes at their desk saying, hey, it's me, the person who complained about a hostile, unsafe environment. (laughs) This is my true record where I actually was just kidding before. (laughs) And it's no big deal. Ignore everything before this. (laughs) Winky smiley face. The most frustrating (laughs) emoji. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, I I think I, I agree that it seems ridiculous and would feel very frustrating you cannot expressing that frustration and calling it ridiculous to HR or, or anything that won't that, help. That, yeah, <laughs> it certainly won't help. I, I, I think if I were you, I would try to be to have some kind of record of what actions you took when. And mm-hmm. if that can be corroborated by other people in some way, I think that would be useful because you want to be able to both acknowledge, I can see this is a serious thing that you're worried about, and, and here's here's my perspective on what happened. And the more you can focus on what happened, and less 
I, I think as, as soon as you start talking about what you intended or what you meant, then yeah, you you're a, you're in defensive mode at that point. Yeah, you've exactly. already lost, as they say. Yeah, it becomes very subjective, and then it's sort of yeah. like your intentions versus this person's feeling of like, why well, I, I felt like it, I felt harassed. So it right. doesn't matter that you felt like you didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And the fact of the matter is, someone did feel harassed, and I don't really know my harassment law very well, but it could very well be that as a like a butterfly chaos theory flapping its wings kind of situation, you kicked off a series of events quite inadvertently that did result in someone actually being harassed. And that's, ugh, I mean, it's a big deal to get harassed, but, you know, it, at that point, what do you do? I mean, do, do you try to disconnect yourself from the sequence of events? You know, try to say, I'm just a butterfly flapping my wings in Central Park. I didn't cause the hurricane, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think you stick to what, happened and which what yeah what what you observed and what you did and if the hr department tries to discipline you in some way or pin it on you unfortunately it's not this isn't a legal system where your rights are carefully protected mm -hmm. like you there's not a lot if if they decide to do something that feels very unfair to you you can sue the company. That's always a fallback, yeah. but that's a pretty, it's, it's kind of that or nothing else. <laughs> you can quit. So are you saying that if you, if you present the risk of a lawsuit to HR, do you think suddenly they would start defending you or trying to appease you instead of this other person? If you pose a bigger threat to the company? Oh no, I think they would try to get you out. <laughs> yeah. You're I think right. I don't know. What, what's your goal? I think you should be clear on, on your goal in 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 this, it, uh, in attending this meeting with HR. It should be to figure mm -hmm. out what, I don't know, what the what the evidence they have is, present your own evidence, and, and try to make the case that this isn't worthy of yeah. some kind of discipline or action against you. I, I could see this being a situation where management or someone needs to step in and say, hey, let's tone it down, maybe stop writing the anonymous notes, uh, stop kind of publicly shaming the person who's writing them or, or whatever is, is happening in the aggregate. Mm -hmm. But that's not really your job to propose the action. But it is your job to protect yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm saying. I think you should focus on protecting yourself. And, and unfortunately, you are right to be worried. I think it's probably unlikely you lose your job, but not impossible. And, and Yeah, I agree. They are not protecting you, for sure. <sighs> yeah, exactly. HR is not here to protect you. They're here to protect the company. That's their stated objective. It's true at every company. Now, I'm reading a little bit of the narrative here where you made a joke in a public forum where you gave a status of the cleanliness of your desk. Got it. Then other people started writing anonymous notes that were sarcastic and probably hurtful at least in some cases. Now, what I believe has happened here is someone has jumped to the conclusion that you are writing those notes, the hurtful ones. And that's because you're the only person who's made any public pronouncement about the notes or even acknowledged that they exist <laughs> in public. So I agree, Jameson, that if I were in defensive mode here, and I would definitely get there quick, I would probably try to document exactly what I did and did not do. And in my 
you know, from this telling of the story, this is a very clear cut and dried case that you are have no, that they're completely innocent. What you did is reasonable, not harmful, not hurtful, and definitely not harassment in my space law opinion. So if I, and then I would try to get that written form in front of my manager as soon as possible so that my manager also knows and can, and can do a little bit of defensive mode for me with HR as well. And then I would also add to that, I would say the fact that I am being put at risk for this has created for me an unsafe environment that I'm not comfortable in, knowing that if I simply make a lighthearted joke about the cleanliness of my own desk, as asked, you know, as referenced by an anonymous note, and suddenly now I'm having a conversation with HR, what do you think that does to my own psychological safety working here? It's not great. And so I would probably just include that just so they know, like, look, what you've done here is bad. And I think that they'll be like, oh, yeah, this, I mean, if I, if it was a reasonable person, they would probably, I don't know. Geez, now I'm, I'm going to predict what they're doing. I, just there's dumb. no way I would say that. <laughs> yeah. No You wouldn't way. say the last part? No, no way. Would you say the, the first part, but just not the last part? Yeah, I'd say the first part. I'd say, here's what I did. I had a note on my desk. I referenced it. Here's what I, the more you accurately, you can recount what you said. I think that's, that's better. And, and I responding to an anonymous note in this lighthearted manner, I, I don't think contributed to it a hostile work environment. Yeah. But I wouldn't push back and say, actually, it's you, because I think they will win. <laughs> I think, well, HR uh, never loses, right? Yeah, I don't think they will ever. Yeah, I mean, if HR is contributing to a hostile work environment, then then the department will implode. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. This, this is hilarious. And <laughs> in time, the fact that you got called into HR over it will become hilarious as well become part right. of the the humor but it's not right now and especially now when when the market's tough like the the fear of losing know, your job i is, know it's a much bigger threat than it was a few years ago if this was two years ago i would encourage you to be a little bit more bold and standing up for yourself but today ugh, i don't know man scarier i have one more suggestion i think if you can talk to your manager earlier about this and Try to figure out kind of where they stand and what kind of weight they have. If they really have your back and and can back your story up and help um, confirm mm-hmm. it and, and kind of work with HR to resolve this, the likelihood of an outcome that is good for you is much higher than if they are there to witness the, the decree handed down I agree. and say, yep. You were wrong. Yeah, you kind you of. need to arm them with information and don't assume that people just know what you did and didn't do. People fill in all kinds of knowledge gaps with weird, what's the word? Oh, hallucinations. That's what we call that today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, um, yeah. And so just don't assume that everyone knows everything you did. So get really clear with all the people that matter in this conversation ahead of time. The last thing you want to do is kind of like how we say, if you wait until the day of your performance review to share all the good things you've done with your manager, you waited about three to six months too long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck. Good luck. What a major bummer. I hope in time you'll be able to write a hilarious post-it note about this. Oh, I hope so. Boy, I would love to hear how this goes out or comes out. Would you mind, you know, if you're willing to do this, would you mind submitting another, another question on our form? And, uh, we may, you know, we'll, we'll honor your, your desire for confidentiality, but boy, I would love to hear how this comes out because, you just this is almost like an episode of the office i think it does feel 
very there's a word I can't think of. It feels very neat and engineered for maximum drama. <laughs> out of yeah. minimum drama. How can we yes. squeeze the most out of what is not that dramatic of a situation? Which That's is right. an office That's right. workplace <laughs> environment. All right. Yes. Shall I read our next question? Go for it. This is from a listener named Aaron who asks, Last week, I listened to a show where Jameson announced he was looking for work. I am. I am looking for work. And specifically looking for small to medium-sized startups. Just to clarify, yes, also other stuff too, to make it even more vague. I have only worked at larger tech companies and currently enjoy my position within one of the largest. However, I've always wondered what it would be like to work at a startup. What makes startups appealing? Is it still reasonable to expect a good work-life balance, or do you go in expecting a big shift in how you dedicate your work time? Great question. Worked, startups versus big tech companies. Or yeah, I worked mostly at startups. Any... Oh, sorry. I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. Not at all. Since you're the one that's unemployed, you get the floor. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I one day worked... I'll be the unemployed one. <laughs> but today is not that day. Yes. This is the universe correcting itself. You You get a job, so I get more time to speak on the podcast. I worked mostly at startups and had a brief stint in a, not brief, I guess it wasn't brief. It was the longest single job in my career, but a stint at a giant megacorp. And I have not found the work-life balance to be radically different between startups and big companies. Me too. I, th I think there could be some startups where the expectation could be outrageous work-life balance differences. I feel like that's often more on kind of the founders than on by the time they're hiring employees. But yeah. you can have you can throw your whole life into a big tech company just as much as you can at a startup and can have reasonable oh, work sure. life balance at a big tech company just as much as a startup. And I think when when some people say startup, Jameson, they, they might be thinking of companies a little different than the kinds of startups you and I have worked for. I've never actually been part of, and I think maybe this is true for you too a company that is literally starting with you. Yeah. Maybe like co-founder or maybe second or third or fourth employee. I, I have only joined startups that are at least a, a couple years old, I think is the youngest that I've gone to. So they're small. They're still growing. They're still net negative revenue, you know, cash burn. Yeah. But they they other than that age, they have all the other telltale signs of a startup. But what they don't have is, hey, we don't have any money yet, or we don't even have an office. We just are going to work from my living room. You know, it's not like that kind of situation for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right in that it does seem more likely that you'd be working longer hours when the risk of, of immediate failure is, is higher. And once you're kind of Series A, Series B is is most of the startups I've worked at. And then it's less like we have to put in 20 hours straight to get this thing done tonight for this demo tomorrow. Right. And, for an and investor like, that we have a meeting with. Yeah. More like, I don't know, we've got a year runway and how do we extend that? You're still chasing after some immediate business outcomes, but it's less, the timeline is a little bit longer generally. What makes startups appealing? I can tell oh, you what well. makes them... Oh, no, I want to hear what you think makes them appealing. Actually. Oh, I, I mean, you said that. I just had to jump in. There are three things that I love about working for startups. The first one is you can affect a ton of impact compared to a, a large company. At a large, I've worked at both large companies. I've worked at two very large companies. And by large, I mean like more than 100,000 employees. 
for a sum total of probably six or seven years of my career. And uh, the amount of impact I was able to have was very, very small. You're in this giant machine that has so much inertia. Your ability to actually make that machine better or steer it in any different way than it's already going is like minute. I mean, so hard to actually move that. And so at a startup, on the other hand, I can show up and on day one, I can start having ideas that get implemented. And suddenly the company's going in a different direction because of what I suggested. And so impact is just there in droves. And I have two more, but maybe we should take turns, Jameson. You could do one and I'll do some more. I'm going to copy you and talk more about impact. It's much easier to change things and there's much more untapped ground. In my time at a giant corporation, most problems had been thought about and and attempted to be solved in some way before. So you're always extending something or modifying something. Or if you were building something new, there were pretty high costs to overcome to get that from from an idea into production in some way. Some of those were technical and some of them were organizational where you have to go up seven layers of the tree to to get buy-in and that takes months and and that kind of thing. So yeah, much easier to make changes and, and much more room to attack a problem that nobody else has attacked before, which I find very, very satisfying. On that same theme, there's also lower negative effects for mistakes. You know, if you don't have thousands and thousands of customers depending on your software yet, then you can make mistakes, experiment with things and learn, and it doesn't, you know, completely wreck the lives of thousands of people and you get a bunch of angry emails and calls and things like that. And so yeah. that's one of the nice things. Basically, not having customers is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is actually, pretty, you're actually, right. It is pretty great. It, hey, I don't have any customers right now. I can make all kinds of mistakes. <laughs> Very low impact mistakes. Yeah. Now, that's probably a good segue to my next bullet point that I love about uh, startups is there's very little bureaucracy. You know, I want to change something about the way I work. No problem. I want to make a big technical decision. No problem. The number of people that I need to get to sign off on that and the levels of how informed those people are is way up. So the number of people is way down and the number of, the amount of informedness or cluefulness of those people is very, very high. And also a lot of decisions like that that would otherwise require forms and processes and approvals at a large company can often just be made on trust at a startup where yeah. it's like, oh, hi, my name's Dave. You know, we eat lunch together every day. Remember me, <laughs> you know, like, you know me, I want to do something different. And they're like, I trust you, go for it. Whereas at a company, it's like, hi, my name's Dave. They're like, who are you? Oh, sorry. My name's employee number 743892. And I would like to make a change to our processes. It's like, okay, well, we have office hours for that. Come back in two weeks. Oh, actually make it four weeks. We're already full for the next three weeks, you know? Ugh. So a lot less yeah. bureaucracy at a startup. I don't want to... I, I agree. A lot less bureaucracy, a lot more trust, a lot more context shared between you and the people that you work with. And I don't think it's malicious intent or or it's not that large companies are, are inherently trying to make it hard to get stuff done. It's that you have trust and, and context do not scale to tens of thousands right. of employees. And at that scale... Right the cost of of just everyone just doing stuff that they think is right is a lot higher and the the benefits of of alignment at the cost of making it harder to get stuff done are often worth it to the company so so bureaucracy is kind of a dirty word but it's can be a necessary tool to avoid the chaos of 10,000 people doing whatever they think is right 
and all trying right. to talk to each other to make sure they have some shared idea versus 20 people trying to all talk together, figure out what they think is right, and I'll go off and do that. That's that's yeah. much more tenable. Exactly. And I think of bureaucracy as kind of like a load balancer on a web server where, yeah, you could go faster if you bypass the load balancer and just go straight to the web server. It's one less network hop. It's a little bit less processing time. Maybe you shave a few milliseconds off every request. But you can serve a lot more requests concurrently if you are willing to take that little overhead and have a load balancer in your web service. And I think bureaucracy is like that. Well-designed bureaucracy facilitates large-scale collaboration and large-scale progress, even though it it reduces optimization of individual resources or people getting things done. That's a cool metaphor. I like that. There is pathological bureaucracy, though, where you can have like... It's like 18 layers of load balancing where it's like yeah. they've forgotten <laughs> forgotten the purpose of the load balancer. They just threw more load balancers at it. Your load balancing cluster has like 10,000 nodes and there's like two application servers behind it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Serving one request per minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a good metaphor. Okay. The third thing I like about startups is variety. When I work at a large company, the chances of getting pigeonholed into one area of technology or one responsibility is really high. That's actually very, very common. You develop deep expertise in one very narrow niche area of the company. Whereas at a startup, you might show up at work today and they're like, hey, guess what? Today you're in charge of IT because our Wi-Fi went offline and you need to go to the store and buy a new router. And I find that kind of variety really fun. I like that. Some people like to come and do similar work each day and they they derive satisfaction from going deeper and deeper in the same niche. But I like to come to work every day and do something a little different. In fact, at one particular startup I was at, there were only two software engineers, just me and one other person and maybe six other people in the whole company. And our Wi-Fi did go offline every day. <laughs> so I actually, I bought a little relay that would relay AC power to the Comcast cable modem and every night at midnight it would just power cycle the cable modem and then our <laughs> internet got, our, i wrote a cron job on the server that was sitting next to it and uh it would just power cycle every day and it was awesome and then our internet was stable and it was i enjoyed that you know it's like i did that it was for the good of the company it unlocked the productivity of a bunch of other people you know, well six other people that's right and it was fun and so i enjoy that kind of thing and you got to put internet of things on your resume <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm an iot expert now yeah <laughs> I'm going to add one more thing, which is I have often found it easier to connect the work I'm doing to the the mission of the company, where, again, this is a function of fewer layers and fewer people. It, it, it just feels like it's much more that the number of steps between the task that I'm working on right now and some end user or customer or, or being better off or, or some business outcome that's pretty concrete improving that yeah. feels easier to find at a startup than at a big company. And and that's kind of related to the impact thing that you mentioned where mm-hmm. where because the the your percentage of of labor is so much higher at a startup than at a giant right. megacorp than than there's just fewer yeah, fewer layers to work through and and a more direct relationship between your work and whether the company is successful or not. That's right. Which means you can take the blame for when the company fails more so than. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Co. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a flip side. Yeah. One of the downsides of startup life is all of these things can be taken to an extreme. So for example, if you like variety and it's like, I haven't worked on the same thing two days in a row in the last two years, <laughs> you know, maybe you don't like that. 
what I have noticed at small startups is that people tend to be spread more thin. Mm. So you will not be able to give as much attention to things that you would otherwise be able to give at a large company. For example, when I was working for a big tech company, we gave tons of attention to our build and deployment and automation, test automation, unit testing. We had the time to do it and we made it. And it was awesome. It was so good. And here I'm like, okay, just barely got it set up. Got to move on. Like we got to get things done. You yeah. know, so the thing is constantly breaking. It's not perfect. I, there's so much more I wish we could do there, but we're just spread thin. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Be- because there's so much room for impact, the opportunity costs can prevent deep investment in some things because yep. there's so many other important, essential and undone things out there. Yep. And I'll also add that While I haven't directly had this experience, I've heard this from many people, which is the code that software engineers write at fast-paced startups tends to be crappy. (laughs) And that's because you're always in a hurry to get the next thing done because everything is an existential crisis, you know? And I heard this great quote that I will forever remember, which is, there are two kinds of startups, those that die and those that are embarrassed of their code. Hmm. I should think more deeply about this. I I don't feel like I've seen large code quality differences between the startups I've worked at and the big company I worked at. I think you can write crappy code under time pressure anywhere because <laughs> there's definitely That's still true. time pressure at big companies. It's just less existential and more like this project needs to be done by this quarter for important business coordination reasons because it rolls up or to because the director said so. and then, Yeah, or this director <laughs> is going to tell this VP who's going to tell this executive VP who's going to tell this C-level person. (laughs) Yeah. I've been trying to figure out if I believe this or not. I'm going to say it and then find out if it feels true when it leaves my mouth. Okay, great. (laughs) I I think big companies are generally a little more conservative in they're generally, uh, generally a little bit more towards the center of the bell curve in kind of process and pathologically bad scenarios or teams or, or things like that I when think you say startup, conservative are you are you kind of thinking along the, the dimension of risk tolerance yeah and and also uh, certainly not politically more more like whatever the default software methodology of the day is probably the big companies are going to be somewhere yeah. towards the middle of it kind of mainstream like yeah mainstream maybe, is maybe a better way to say it maybe just they avoid the cutting edge yeah, and and startups can certainly do that as well. They can also be on the cutting edge. They can also, I think it is maybe easier to do wildly bad things at a startup because there's less, as, as the company gets bigger, you bring in more people and you kind of get more average mainstream experience in the company and, and just this pressure towards the center, I think. And at a startup, maybe you hire 10 people and they're all from some school where they, I don't know, had some influential professor who said, you type all your code backwards or whatever. It just seems normal. And then now this is the backwards code startup. I told you I was going to say it, figure out if it was true or not by how it felt. And and how does it feel? How does it feel to you, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) It feels right. It feels right. Like I'll tell you, having been at a big tech co before, what I have found is that the, the switching costs... So sorry, there's two, there are two dynamics at play. One, switching costs are high. 
Because, you know, imagine one team switching a technology. Okay, fine. Now imagine 5,000 teams switching a technology. The, just the labor is so astronomically high comparatively that it's expensive for big tech companies to change or big companies at all to change that kind of thing. Okay, mm -hmm. fine. And combine that with the second dynamic, which is that they like to vet things and prove them out and and not deploy large-scale changes without making sure that first they are proven and solid. So being proven and solid takes time. Switching costs are high. What that means is that even if you were on, even if the company did have a track record of changing to the latest technology five years ago, they probably haven't changed since then. And so now you're, what was hot and new and cutting edge five years ago is now old and mainstream in the best case, I guess. It could also just be legacy, <laughs> right? Which also yeah. happens. But that leads to these companies just being on, just naturally gravitating toward mainstream technologies. And, and like you said, conservative adoption of risky stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm not even thinking about technologies. Also, kind of culture and processes, and 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 those two things. I don't have a third thing, so I don't know why I said and. <laughs> Certainly not generally true, but maybe a broad trend. I I think mm -hmm. there are appealing things at large companies and startups, and plenty of overlap between them, and you can do great work at each of them. I had better health benefits at a big tech company, though. I made more money at a big tech company. Certainly. Yeah, me too. More cash, <laughs> more cash, better cash situation. Yeah. But was I happier? I don't know. I think overall I've I've felt more joyful at smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Have we answered the questions? I think so. Well, thank you for your questions. Thank you for your time listening. We appreciate it. There are a lot of you now. We are looking at numbers. The numbers mm -hmm. go up. Big they do number up big. To the right. Oh, big, big number. Feel good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And uh. if you want to ask your own question you can go to softskills.audio click the ask us a question button we will read it we will answer it someday we're getting through the list yep the list may be growing faster than we are answering them but if we keep going long enough we'll make it up always be true <laughs> yeah we'll catch up ai will fix it yeah or demographics we just have to figure out immortality and then we will yeah. for so that's that's always the last question on the list Yes, hey, how figure do out you... immortality. Yeah. <laughs> well, as long as we outlive every other human, we can make good on this promise. Mm -hmm. Which I plan on doing. So mm -hmm. plans on track. Perfect. <laughs> pay, pay no attention to the wrinkles if you're watching this on YouTube. Those, yeah. are, those are health wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> those are vitality wrinkles. Vitality, Wrinkles yes. of longevity. <laughs> yes, exactly. Each wrinkle represents an added year of extra life I will That's live right. in the future. It's a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the rings of a tree at all. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine the rings of the tree are how long the tree will live. Yes. And it always goes up. <laughs> yep. All right. With that meditation on mortality... I think we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Mm -hmm.